AIM is a podcast that connects women who are eager to grow in their relationship with God, living out the living word of God each day. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hey. Welcome back. Hello. Dream team back together. I'm so happy. It's been a minute. All five of us. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe it? So you've got Nat. Maria here. Marina. Karen, the first one. <laughs> and Karen Jr. <laughs> okay, I hate that I said the first one. No, the littler one, the shorter one. There you go. <laughs> We're coming back together. We're doing this Lent series this year. Um, so previously we did Holy Week. And then the time before that, we did the Sundays of Lent. And now we're coming to you with a sort of a different take on Lent. We're going to be talking about the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And we're going to be discussing a parable every week, hopefully by the by resurrection, by the last uh, episode of the series. You'll have a bit of a clearer picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so will we, of course. Not a clear, crystal clear photo because it's a mystery. But I'm excited to talk about this mystery a little bit more with you guys and to learn myself about what the kingdom of heaven is like. So by coincidence or not by coincidence, we're going to be starting with uh, this this Sunday of the Samaritan woman. (laughs) So basically one of the best people on earth. Actually, not on earth, in heaven. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven. There we are. Oh my God. (laughs) And we're going to be discussing the parable of the sower. Yeah, I'm excited. So if we were to just like set a foundation for the kingdom of heaven, as you said, I love that you said it's a mystery because Christ spoke about it in parables and he kept saying the kingdom of heaven is like uh, because no eye has seen, no ear has heard. But what we do know is that it's not this place that doesn't exist here on earth that is far, far away that is just a bunch of compensations or rewards. Uh, The kingdom of heaven is Christ, right? So like Alexander Schmerman, also one of the greatest people in heaven, will define it as the kingdom of God is unity with God, who is the source of all life. So when we fast, when we pray, when we do all these beautiful asceticism things for Lent, our goal is the kingdom of heaven, which is Christ. And then Father Daniel Fanus also identifies it in a really, like he defines it really nicely where he says, the kingdom of heaven exists. It's not something far away again. It's not something in the future world. It is already happening. It's already within us, right? Just like the verse, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And so he says, when we pray for thy kingdom come, we're basically asking for God to manifest his power and authority in the world of human experience because it's alive. It's there. We just need to open our eyes to it. Beautiful. So should we read and get into it? Yeah. Okay. Name of Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So we will be reading Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 1 tonight. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on the stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up, because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was there, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground, and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some fifty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And glory be to God forever and ever, man. 
Maybe we can talk about it verse by verse. Karen is candor. I know you have something beautiful to start us off with. Um, okay, so if we look at verse one, um, it says Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. So I'm picturing this and I'm imagining he probably wanted some time to sit and chill and admire the beautiful creation in peace. Um, but when the multitude came, he got up and left his nice, comfortable spot and went and sat in a boat um, so that they can stay comfortable on the shore. And um, I thought of this as a little story of the incarnation in a, in a short glimpse, um, because he was first with his father in heaven, but left his kingdom and came down to us in the sea, which is generally a symbol of the world because it's chaotic and unpredictable, um, so that we can in turn be comfortable in the kingdom with him. So we always say, um, as I believe St. Athanasius said, he took what is ours and gave us what is his. He took our sea and gave us his shore. <laughs> I absolutely love that, Karen. And I, I know we just said this before we started recording, but just like testament to how the Holy Spirit enlightens you and us and like <laughs> other people like St. John Chrysostom who are a lot more knowledgeable than myself. Um, but he actually said the exact same thing, basically, that you said. He he speaks about this parable as um, a form of exodus. And so like first exodus of Christ, like outside of the kingdom, and he came down on earth. And then he exodus, you know, into the sea. Um, and the sea, exactly as you mentioned, is such a symbol of chaos. And then he says this beautiful quote. He says, he who is everywhere went out. Yet he is unlimited to a certain place, right? So he came to us in the robe of our own bodies so that we can perceive him and see him and understand him. And Christ speaks to us in truth of his drawing near to us, which is an exodus or as an exodus. This is because we have been dismissed out of God's presence, like those indebted, rebuking and expelled from the king. But he, in his love, goes out to them and speaks to them out of the kingdom. And when they're all well prepared, he gets them to God's presence back into the kingdom. And this is exactly what he did through his incarnation and through this parable. Um, he says, furthermore, he doesn't go out to a certain site. He rather declares a life and provision that concern our salvation. He became close to us by taking on our own physical shape and form. Since we were unable to enter due to our iniquity, he himself came out to us. Um, and then he goes, why did he do so? Was it to destroy the land full of thistles? And then he goes, no, he actually came out to take care of that land and sow in it the word. He calls his teachings the seed and the people's souls. He calls a fruitful field. He calls himself the sower. So I loved it. I loved that wow. he he came out out of his comfort, out of his eternity, not to destroy this land that he had created, but that we through our fall had destroyed, but rather to just renew it. And that's a common, I think, quality or characteristic of, of God that we can attribute to the master of the kingdom. Because I remember reading a quote by St. Ephraim on the incarnation um, that is very much like he who is the word entered and became silent within her, thundered, entered her and made no sound. There entered the shepherd of all and in her he became the lamb, etc, etc. So it's a lot of these juxtapositions. I also read like the, the gospel earlier this week, I think it was Tuesday, was um, when when Christ calmed the storm, when he was sleeping on the ship. And I, I don't remember who said it, but uh, one of the fathers commented on it and said he was both in the boat and the one carrying it when he calmed the sea. 
Wow. Wow. So he goes out to sew. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? A sewer went out <laughs> uh, to sew. And then, yeah, there's a very interesting, again, kind of just juxtaposition here that he is both the sower and the seed. Marina, and- what else? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And actually, I wanted to add on another quote, very like similar to the idea that this is representing the incarnation of him going out and pursuing us. Um, so there's a beautiful quote again by San John Chrysostom, which I, 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 he commented a lot about this, uh, parable. So it's nice that we all have, um, some things from him. So he says, the sower went out to sow his seed. He did not wait for the soil to be perfect before sowing. Likewise, we should not wait for ourselves or others to be perfect before sowing the word of God. We should sow it everywhere in the hope that some of it will fall on good soil and bear fruit. So I, I love this because we actually uh, are going to reveal that we're going to connect this to the Samaritan woman story in this uh, week of Lent. And it, it fits so perfectly. And it, it's something I have never actually seen the connection before because the sower, like St. John Chrysostom says, is not waiting for the soil to be perfect. He doesn't wait for us to be perfect. He doesn't wait for anything from us, actually, he actually comes to us in our brokenness and and in the mess that we've created for ourselves oftentimes. And that is perfectly shown in the story of the Samaritan woman where Christ is truly pursuing her. He knows that it's like the most hot part of the day. There's scorching heat and she's tired and she has, you know, a very complicated past. She's been through a lot and he's coming specifically to meet with her and to show her and to give her the seed of the word of God, because that's that's what the seed is. It's the word of God, which is Christ. So he is coming to meet with her. And the most beautiful part of this story is that, in my opinion, is that she she accepts him with such humility. And I think it's because she came to a point where it's like, I've tried getting my thirst quenched from any other person and and from all these husbands that she's had or through all these other outlets and she found no satisfaction from it and it's it's so beautiful that once she found and she met real love that's when she was like wow I am so filled that I have to go and be a sower myself I have to go and preach to Samaria I have to go spread the word of God in this like treasure this pearl of great price that needs to be shared with everyone in the world. I, I love her passion. And so it even reminds me with the quote of the kingdom of God suffers violence or the, the verse, sorry. And it, it's like, when I, when I read her story, I just think of that because she really didn't just hear the word of God or meet with Christ and then stayed silent and didn't change anything about her life. No, she like, she left everything and just went, she left her water pot. Uh, I know um, Natalie really likes that contemplation. Um, and so she went and ran to Samaria and was the first preacher to Samaria, which I didn't know. So that's really just so beautiful. And her name means the enlightened one. It all, Oh yeah, you're right. I do really like that contemplation. That's why I'm going to talk about it now. Um, (laughs) but it's actually very interesting, this parable. So I, I feel like we've all heard it and we all know, um, different types of soil. And then you identify, or I, that's like, at least what I did. I identified myself with one of the soils there's one obviously really good soil that we should all <laughs> towards being but in the sermon that i listened to on the parable of the sower by uh, abuna Carlos ibrahim it was fantastic and i highly suggest everyone go listen to it it's on upper room 
he basically says that this parable is different in that it's a, he categorized that as a mystical parable. He says, it speaks about the hidden reality of the kingdom in each of us. It's not a moral parable about how we live our life and about how God works in us. Because when we hear parables, we tend to ask, what should I do? But in this parable, we ask, what does God do? So here he, same as what all of you guys said, he says Christ is the sower, the seed, and the fruit. Because God has sowed his very life in us. It's a true union between us, which is what we said the kingdom of heaven is. And the fruit of that union is that our life becomes a manifestation of his life, of divine life. So he says to any farmer who's listening, which is why Christ is telling this parable, because he was talking to people who understand the trade, would anyone who would hear the story, any farmer who heard the story would think, well, the farmer is not a very good farmer because he can't distinguish which soil is going to take in that seed. But he's saying that's kind of the point. Christ, as the sower, throws the seeds on the ground, even the one, even the ground that won't take root. He throws himself everywhere. He throws himself to every heart, regardless of the state of that heart or where that heart is on the journey. And that's exactly what he did with the Samaritan woman. He didn't ask her to reach some level of spiritual height in order for her to reach his level so that they can finally have a conversation. In fact, he went out of his way and took the road to Samaria in order to meet her. He left the 99 to find the one. And, and so Abu Nakrullah says, so it's not so much about the quality of each kind of dirt, but it's about the qualities of God. And, and he says it's dangerous to identify yourself with one soil over the other, oh. trying to reach one type of soil as though it's some sort of like spiritual ladder that you have to climb in a sense because we don't we don't desire ourselves into the good soil it's god who keeps throwing his seed onto my bad soil and over time i change and so he says the sower sows his seed knowing very well that much of the seed isn't going to bear fruit so in the same way, God forgives us, even though he knows very well, we're going to sin again and waste the grace that he sends us. But he's still so happy to throw his seed regardless. Abuna Krolis brought up something really good. He says, the problem with also trying to identify yourself with a certain soil is when we look at the proportion of bad soil to good soil, it seems hopeless. And when Jesus gave the disciples difficult teachings, they said, who can be saved? And God said, that which is impossible with man is possible with God. And the problem was that the disciples were bringing it back to themselves. Stop bringing it back to yourselves. It's not about your work. It's about his. And this is hope. This is the hope that the disciples were lacking at that time. It's his work. He will find a way to convert you into good soil. The Samaritan woman found union with the constant stream of living water. It's a promise of your life being an ever-constant potential, an ever-constant stream of new life. And just like Maria mentioned in the beginning of the kingdom of heaven not just being a potential, not just being, but very, very present and very real, it's also the life that now produces the best fruit, the fruit of the spirit that we know in Galatians 5. And so he says, this isn't, this contemplation doesn't indicate living some pa passive life because God is going to do the work. Our trust and confidence, that hope that we just talked about, is an active work. 
that God uses to work with us. And we exemplify or we show this work through our repentance, right? That's what St. John the Baptist came to preach. And this is how we prepare the way for him. Just like St. John the Baptist said, he he prepares the way for him. Um, we do it through repentance. We prepare the way for him to sow and to sow himself in us and to be the fruit that is born from that. And so the Samaritan woman left her water bucket, making way to receive a better flow of water. Wow. Wow. I want you to know I had so many questions for you. and You just answered all of them. So <laughs> <laughs> because I was going to ask you, what do you think is our part then? But you you touched on that. So. Yeah, it's really interesting because when you read it, like, I'm glad you said the whole thing about like the proportion, because I think like when you read it, even when like we first heard of it in like Sunday school, that was my first thought. I'm like, I'm everything. Like I'm everything. I feel like I've been at times like, you know, the thorns and then the wayside. So when you kind of address that, it's like it, it is important to understand each type but it's like you don't want to identify yourself with just one because I think that is so dangerous like at the end of the day it says way more about God's love the fact that he doesn't see it as a waste to me is so beautiful because like also the story of like the Samaritan woman where he walked so far (laughs) just to see her and I remember thinking when I like whenever I hear that story just thinking like isn't that a waste though of of your time like it's not like you're here like he does have a limited time here on earth and like the fact that there's this whole story where he went to meet one person like he could have talked to a multitude why that one what if it didn't work like you know like is that a waste and he doesn't see it as a waste it's not a waste of seed it's not a waste of time like he comes to each person and it's just I think that kind of love is probably what led to her transformation because it was like her whole life she was faced with so much like rejection and indifference like I think back in the day that like women were not really in control a lot of their relationships like I'm not sure if like they were the ones that were able to initiate divorces or whatever the case may be so the fact that she was with so much men I would imagine or maybe this is just one contemplation that maybe she was rejected multiple multiple times and she just went from one to one to one and I feel like if that happens to you at a certain point you just believe this is your worth and you just settle you know for like the life that you know and you're just like I'm worth nothing and I can imagine like being met with this person who did all that just to talk to you knew everything about you and met you with so much love like just coming to face with God's love I think is what is like catalyst for change you know I don't know if that makes any sense no, no, it does. And I think that's the work that, that has to do with the work is that she was attentive to him. Mm-hmm. Just be attentive to his work. And that is all the work that is required of us. One of my favorite people ever, his name is Abuna Anastasi. Um, he says, um, our relationship with God is not like our relationship with other people, because our relationship with other people is outside of ourselves. And so our relationship with God doesn't require the same kind of effort the same kind of work. The only effort that is required of us is to acknowledge that he's there. And so it's not about forcing or manipulating our hard soil to become something else, but to just trust in the work of the sower. Absolutely. And I think it's just saying help to God. You know, one thing I was hearing, reading about in the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes by St. Gregory of Nyssa, um, this is just, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but it was just saying, like, when we're saying your kingdom come in the Lord's prayer, we're, we're basically saying to God, like, we want to be freed from our sin. I want to see you, Lord. Like, this is, this is what we're, we're really saying. We're saying, I want to see what it means to be living in the kingdom, what it means 
to open myself up to and be in complete union with you because you know that's where we really get to experience reality as it is and contemplation you just mentioned about father anastasi is so important to remember it's not it's not as difficult as it is made out to be like to have a relationship with god you know and we um can sometimes build it up in our heads uh especially if we feel like we've strayed for a while and we're like oh how am i going to come back kind of like the prodigal son but uh just simply turning to him and saying god please open up my eyes please just help me um i think that's like the level that Saint, the saint fortini the samaritan woman probably reached as well where she was just like so broken where she was just saying like help i need you and he knew that and so he came to her i think also there is there is like a grace and a certain beauty in being in that low state um saint minas the martyr says i have seen sin and corruption in the city and I have left it and flee far away. I will abide in the desert and I shall see my God and Redeemer Jesus Christ. So I think it's in the desert when we have no other source of water and we're parched and dehydrated and like uh, our organs are failing. (laughs) um, Everything is just not working out. That is where we will see the need for the fountain of the living water. Um, Jesus went to her at the hottest time of the day and when she was thirsty she was going to look for water that is when she or I feel like myself at least I'd be more open to come down from my like high prideful place and just actually seek the the living water because I'm not satisfied by other sources of water that I'm getting from the world and other pleasures so I have um a contemplation on the desert so this is a Franciscan brother I think who basically lived in Egypt in the monasteries of Egypt in six months because he was doing some sort of research project or thesis. And the book is his diary writings um, of his experience living the monastic, the, the Orthodox monastic life. And so his contemplation on the desert uh, on one of the days is very interesting. He says, the desert represents the providence of God on the edges of the empire of men. Um, it represents the territorial claim that God has. And that's what he said he was slowly discerning as he walks through the desert, that in the end, the garden and the oasis, the farm and the orchard, all the watered lands of the earth are proximate to and prone to become a desert. The secret hidden identity of the earth, whatever it is, is a desert. So he says, in the second creation account in Genesis, God begins his creative work, not in some sort of watery chaos, but in an earthly desert, out of which he causes a spring to flow. And then he says, I now see that unless God continually causes the spring of life to well up, all the world will eventually revert back to a desert. And he says, the desert is at once a threat because we can't control it. But it generates great exhilaration because it puts us in the presence of the one that we can't control, the force that we can't manage. It reminds us who it is that we have to lean on because all our other outlets are taken away from us. The desert has the power to empty us out. It imposes on us. We must be immersed into the desert to learn our helplessness before the God who called us here. That's so beautiful. That's so cool. I just got a thought. Uh, relating to that like the desert being empty may again maybe a contemplation but in a way 
as ironic as it sounds, the good soil is actually the most like desert. It's the most empty of thistles, of thorns, of stone. Like all the other soils are holding on to things because they can't let go. But the good soil is the only one that's willing to be emptied and willing for God's word to seep as deep as it can in it and for him to like remove the impurities and for him to cleanse. I don't know. So just just interesting relating to your quote. Reminds me of uh some alabaster flask that could be broken where's that from again <laughs> I don't know. it's not about me though it's not about them either um you, you anyway know, anthony murad meme though it's not about you it's not about you yeah. <laughs> maria yeah. that reminds me of something saint macarius the great um says he says the heart itself is but a small vessel Yet there are also are dragons and there are lions, there are poisonous beasts and all the treasures of evil, and there are rough and uneven roads, there are precipices, forgive me if I'm not saying that right, <laughs> but there is also God, there are the angels, the life and the kingdom, the light and the apostles, the heavenly cities and the treasuries of grace, all things are there. So the heart, which I think we can think of as the soil, as you said, it can have so much in it. It can have seven husbands um, who are not our husbands. It can have, it can have like just horrible sins and lusts and corruption. But it also has the kingdom of heaven within it. Um, and it reminds me of something that um, I've mentioned this person a few times here, but he's. I'm gonna refer to him as the the patristics fanatic. <laughs> He told us that, uh, he gave us this analogy, how um, in the heart we have ourselves and Christ, and there's also a throne and a cross, and it's up to us um, who we will let sit on the throne and who we will crucify. Um, I think personally, unfortunately, a lot of the times I let myself sit on the throne and I let the passions take over and Christ crucifies himself and and. I leave him to go on the cross. And although that is like ultimately what he came to do for us, um, we also have the chance to crucify ourselves and our, our sins and let him take over and sit on the throne. Yeah. I think it's just the let him that like, that's going to be my, my keyword, like <clears throat> full submission. Yeah. We over, uh, full surrender. <laughs> yeah. Full surrender. Exactly. And, and just, and I, yeah, sorry, Maria. I was just going to like say St. Gregory of Nazianzus always reminds us in his writings that we like the, the good nature, the, the goodness is in us. We are already created with this potential of being in his likeness and we are already in his image. So like, I just need to stop overcomplicating it and just let him do the work. Literally just sit back and relax and let him unfold his plan. I actually love that. I love that. And I'll tell you why I love that because both words mean something like, in isolation and together like letting indicates that very that i'm not i'm not in control mm -hmm. uh, it, it's the letting go but i just didn't want to use the word in the definition <laughs> as and a then, true lawyer and then him points at the otherness it points at him and away from us and i think those are the two main things i think the samaritan woman ended up exemplifying that really well and i think that's kind of the point of the parable and essentially the the pointing to him is the kingdom i don't know if you guys read elements if you haven't read elements it's really cool i highly suggest 
but I love that at the end of the book. What? For everybody listening, it took me 15 years to get this girl to read Elements. And now she goes, if you haven't read Elements. <laughs> I'm talking to the audience, not to you guys. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Please, Maria. Anyways, whatever. Now my point is not going to be as cool. I don't want to say it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Go. <laughs> I was just going to say that in Elements, every time someone died, they would point one hand up to heaven, to God, and the other hand was to the world indicating our trinity and resembling him which is union but whatever it's not as cool anymore <laughs> i thought it was super cool Thanks, Mary. thank you um speaking of letting him and also like um yes letting him <laughs> saint gregory of nyssa says you must then wash away by a life of virtue the dirt which has clung to your heart like plaster, and then your divine beauty will once again shine forth. Um, and also relating it to how we do have that divine beauty within us, like that's how we were created. Absolutely. Um, but I found it interesting that St. Gregory says you must then wash away. And if we think about it, what can we use to wash away? <laughs> dirt um <laughs> so living water yeah. oh my God. No. it all makes sense <laughs> so if we look at the properties of water um water not only quenches the thirst as um the woman as saint fotini who's all of us needed and always need um but it also cleans and so if we mm-hmm. let christ um abide within us and live in us and we let him be our fountain of living water then he will wash away all of the dirt that has clung to our heart i just think that's amazing that's so beautiful and i was reflecting on this idea of quote-unquote letting god work in us and it's kind of like i think to myself like why would i ever not let him like he is God Almighty, the Pantocrator. Like, you know, and I think I sometimes need that wake up call in order for me to like truly be like, I am not being reasonable when I'm not letting him and I'm and I'm acting like I know everything and I am the wise one when I am speaking to the the ultimate um wisdom himself. And I think there is one quote uh from saint Ephraim the syrian which really like ties everything together and and even in the context of lent uh it says long suffering is the lord and he draws all of us toward his kingdom but requires of us an account for our carelessness during this short time he will say to us for you did i take on flesh for you did i visibly walk about the earth for you i was beaten for you i was struck on the face For you, I was crucified and raised on the cross. For you who dwell on earth, was I given vinegar to drink in order to make you holy and heavenly. I have granted you my kingdom, called all of you my brethren, and sent down to you the Holy Spirit. What more is there that I could do but have not done in order to save you? Reminds me of (laughs) the the fraction to the sun that I I Mm -hmm. like. I know a few of you know how much I love that fraction. It also says the same thing, right? It, it's the, it's the juxtapositions. I love them. Um, and I think the church in her wisdom does it really well. He says, 
We are the ones who sinned. He was the one who suffered. We are the ones who were indebted to divine justice. He was the one who paid off our debts. For our sake, he preferred suffering to ease and comfort, toil to rest, shame to glory, the cross to the throne, which is carried by the cherubim. And then one of my favorite lines is, what is this, two of my favorite lines, what is this road leading to death, which you are walking along, my Lord and Savior? Further down the fraction, they're just contemplating a little bit on the cross. The contemplation sort of ends with, oh, how great is your love? Yeah. And so like, it's, it's just mind boggling to me that like, it's so difficult sometimes to submit and to truly let go and trust and let him work. Um, when when he's done all of this for us and he's still pursuing us. He hasn't like seen it as wasted grace as we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Sorry, a random thought just now. The book of Hosea in I think it's chapter two. I think it's chapter two. But he basically just talks about like he has blessed this woman and then she decided to yolo essentially and like let everything go and leave behind the blessing and then try to search for gods in other places um and nothing satisfied her and so she said i will return back to to my husband something along those lines um but and you'd expect him to be angry like you'd expect him to be like how many times have i called you back how many times have i given you this and you've abandoned it but actually the line is some something along the lines of i alert or i i alert her with my words or i attracted her right i enticed her i spoke to her softly so what we think would be met with anger same thing with samaritan woman like this this girl is avoided her, her entire village her entire like the entire everyone um, so much so that she went during the heat of the day. Um, and yet the transformation that we see by the very end is her running back into the city that she flees from, exclaiming, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And yeah, you think that someone who sits there and spits out all your sins in front of you would would meet you with some sort of anger. Um, but he must have done it in such a loving like that's the thing that gets me about this story guys is i don't get man to be a fly on that well <laughs> um, and, and hear how he spoke to her just just i just want to hear how he spoke to her and and with what kind of compassion and love he told her about all the things she ever did because it must have been so great for her to not flee from him yeah that part of that story always it makes me just wonder like and and truly truly come to the conclusion that I don't understand the kind of love that he's giving me Mm -hmm. just kind of going off of like because I was just kind of contemplating in my head like what because we we were saying like it doesn't require effort right and we're saying it's simple and all that stuff so sometimes I just think to myself I'm like okay what's the problem then so I was just like thinking to myself like personally why do I have such a hard time letting go and it kind of reminded me of the stony like ground which um it was just like I feel like one of the things that the devil feeds me is that I think that if I 
let go and I allow God to take over my life, I have this weird fear that my life is going to get like harder because like, I don't know, like the devil's going to want to target me more or like sometimes when life is just good, it's like, I just want to ignore it. I want to ignore everything. I want to take control. If I take control then I can make my own life good, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the stony place because it's like they take it well. And then as soon as like something hits like bad circumstance, then it's like, never mind, you know, um, but it just kind of got me thinking about like, like the life after, like the Samaritan woman after, because there there's years to her life after the well. Like, was it all easy? What did she never sin again? Like, how hard was her life? And and did she like she just continued to make that decision over and over and over again and encounter him over and over and over again, not just at the well, you know? Anyways, that was such a random thought. I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> oh, I love it. But also, I think it points more. like it points back to what we originally spoke about first of all um he offers support in the hardness of it he stayed in Samaria he ended up staying in Samaria he didn't just let her exclaim who he is his messiahship to an entire country and then bounce so that she (laughs) sounds crazy you know what I mean like he's around and later on we hear people say they believed why because they saw him Mm. and so I think that's one thing the other thing is I think identifying with the soils is useful in as much as it shows you what gets in the way Mm. so do I have yes I agree and sorry I'm just thinking like on the fly no I love this keep going I think the problem is that we think exactly what you said is that we think we can make our lives good. But like Maria said, goodness is already within us. Mm. So we're trying to revert back as if it, it's the same thing as Adam and Eve. They tried to achieve something that was already given to them. Mm. The prodigal son, he tried to look for something that was already there. Like he had everything. That's so uh, interesting you just said that because I just was reading a quote that's saying, I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. It's like, whoa, it's my <laughs> father, Henry Nguyen. I was like, wow, that's that literally just hits the nail on the head of what you just said. Like, and the Samaritan woman too, like she was thinking that she could find real true love in these other contexts. She couldn't. And Christ, like we said, he sows the seed in everybody. And it's just up to us and up to our like attachments of whether we will end up, you know, receiving him and actually like being fully transformed, right? Like, I, I just love how transformed she was. That That's something that's so inspiring. And I wish that like, I, I can be that humble always to, to be like, God, please transform me, do what you want with my life. So yeah. What's- yeah. Also, just so beautiful is how much he pleads with us. Like, not only did he come and pursue, but he's standing in front of us, and that's not enough. It's like, okay, please, like, let me give <laughs> you from my water. Like, he's about to, like, next thing, he's gonna just open our mouth and say, just open it. <laughs> um, and I found it interesting in in this passage, uh, John four and verse eight. Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink." Like, okay, wh- what are we going to give to Jesus? <laughs> but he's like, okay, anything, like do anything to just to, to, to like participate with me. And, and 
he's like, I want to give you all of me and everything that all of the, the riches that I have in my father's house. And even like the kingdom of heaven is is also pleading with us. They want us to join them and the saints try and help us and they want us to come. So and it's funny how like he said, give her a drink. And then he gave her a drink like he just, like <laughs> it's just it's insane. And and Nat, I think you have something beautiful to to add about this pleading that Jesus does with us. Um yeah, so I just I I just heard um in that same sermon, kind of he was discussing next steps. Um, so what happened after that? And and we know in the Gospel of John, we read that Christ says, "As the Father has sent me, so I send you." Um, so if the Father has sent him to sow, we are also called to do the same. Um, which is what the Samaritan woman did when she went into the town and exclaimed who he was. He turned her into a sower. And he said something so interesting. He says, the topic of pursuance, like God always initiates, God always pursues. And we have to remember that Jesus comes as one who is in need. He's a beggar first. And so she becomes a beggar in need of him. And he said a quote by a saint that prayer is a dialogue between two beggars, right? So he asked her for a drink of water in order for her to thirst for that same water after, but he begged first. Um, I found that so interesting. And St. Clement says, if one knows himself, he will know God, which speaks to the unity. And knowing God, he will be made like God by well-doing, by their actions, and by requesting as few things as possible by being that desert, essentially. And so before you come to him as a beggar, he is coming to you as a beggar. He doesn't wait until you're a certain kind of soil to come to you, kind of like the prodigal son, the father ran out, right? He didn't wait to see how close he was going to get or if he was going to turn back as though in hostility. And we see this time and time again. He thirsted on the cross and he said the same words to Fotini right? Like he says, I thirst. And he told her, I thirst. He he thirsts for us. He always thirsted for us. We don't approach God to prove ourselves to him. We come as we are and just be aware of his presence. Be aware of him approaching you. Be aware that he's pursuing you. Practice the presence of God. He initiates, he approaches, he makes the first move. He searched for Adam. He says, where are you? right? He searched for the woman by the well. He seeks union. This is, union is restoration of the kingdom. That's why we do Eucharist. That's why we care about the sacraments. It's just all union with him. It's all he ever longed for. Um, and that's what the kingdom is. It's it's union with him. And that's why we can have the kingdom now. Not so much, it, it is a future thing. It's a potential, but it's also a very, very much a reality. Another saint said, First, you have to look at God who is looking at you. And just to like add on to this idea that he is truly pursuing us and bringing us to his kingdom. The verse in Colossians 1.13 says that for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So he like he came out and um, left his eternity, like Maria said in the beginning, and he took us out of the sin and darkness and death that we were were living in and are living in. We're continually living in, in death when we're sinning, right? And so he 
he loves us so much that he wants to to heal us and wash us away wash away sorry the the sin that that is so corrupt it's like corrupting us and it's it's corrupting our vision sometimes of him um which is which is really sad because sometimes we can think that oh he's far away from us he doesn't care for me you know we might we might get these anxieties but what's beautiful is like when we just come to him even when we are scared even when we have these maybe negative thoughts he comes and he purifies even our way of thinking and i think that's just so beautiful he comes and and brings us to his kingdom i think it's just it's like a the perfect love story and i know we contemplated that on uh last episode or last season sorry in in the lent on the beloved and so and i and i just want to clarify back to karen's question about like our part i don't think out of our conversation tonight i think our part doesn't have so much to do with our own transformation but once he transforms us our part is to become is to is to do what the sower does so he has transformed us into sowers um in the sermon he ends off by saying so let's sow sow with the same the same pouring out of ourselves in love looking past the worthiness of the soil that we're throwing the seeds onto just so right like she exclaimed she she exclaimed the truth to all the samaritan woman regardless of how they treated her regardless of her encounters with the people there mm-hmm. yeah. and the yeah kingdom of heaven is like this it's this outpouring overwhelming love everything is made good everything was made and filled and imbued and permeates with that same love it's within you the kingdom Mm -hmm. of heaven and so that says something to the state of our hearts and love's place in in it and i think just to be like open i guess like just like what you guys were saying like just be that empty ground don't yeah, try to declutter. But you're right, because at the end of the day, it's also God who declutters for us. So <laughs> he washes, he cleans. Yeah, I, I think even just by asking her to get him a drink, he didn't like he didn't care about the drink. He didn't. The I think the mission was not to bring the drink to him. I think it was just to get her attention. Like it's because if you think about it, like she probably ended up turning to him and looking, who is this? So so maybe that's what we need to do it's not so much about focusing on like accomplishing the the end goal and and you know just worrying about getting the drink there but just hearing that that call and responding and, and so if- maybe- yeah sorry. go ahead no no sorry keep going <laughs> no i was just going to say excited <laughs> maybe it's just going to your prayer corner or starting a prayer corner and starting off and honestly i think i after this when we close i'm gonna just <laughs> go look at the icon and be like okay i'm i want to respond i'm looking at you now what do you want me to do <laughs> yeah I think the dialoguing to be honest i think our action our part is so so minuscule and small again like it's just about noticing that he's there um or noticing that he's trying to pursue like the threshold for us is really 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 low and also what he has to offer is so amazing beyond our like all of what we could desire for ourselves and what we think is good he is to give us true goodness you know and so i think that's it's like he's not just pursuing us and that's it like he's also giving us the best thing possible yeah (laughs) it's funny like the mission was definitely not for him to 
get a drink of water um because it's actually and i just noticed this now um right after this encounter the disciples are like have you eaten and he's like my food is the will of my father so it's like so you're not hungry so you don't need food but you need water <laughs> yeah that just made me think of that so it's definitely not the mission the mission was much greater than that but the purpose and the message is the same <laughs> so what do you guys just to conclude what do you guys think this says about the kingdom of god like what did we learn today about the kingdom in like a few words yeah they're begging us to join them <laughs> yes i actually same yeah i think so <laughs> As we mentioned that like Christ doesn't think any any person is a waste, any time or effort is a waste, and that the kingdom of heaven is so abundant. Like there's no there's so many seeds that it doesn't matter how many end up where. Um and yeah, he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I think the kingdom of heaven is leaving my water bucket. Mm -hmm. I think the kingdom of heaven is learning to truly submit and surrender and once we you know let go of our attachments that's when we get to fully experience him no it's honestly yeah. everything that you guys said that's that's also what i got from that yeah and i can't wait for next week when we learn like a new thing <laughs> about the kingdom you're gonna say i can't go, yes. to, I can't to, go to heaven <laughs> <laughs> that too <laughs> karen can you pray for us please Okay, uh, in the name of Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. I thank you, Lord, for gathering us together so that we're able to talk about you, Lord. It's not every day that we get this opportunity to just talk and throw around ideas about what we've read about you, Lord, what we know about you to be true, and just put things together about you, Lord. And the more that we put together, the more that we um, listen to you, the more that we realize you are just so pure love. You love us so much so so much lord and you just want us to be willing to be loved and you want us to be aware that you are around us lord and to just open our hearts to you and i ask lord that that you make it so that we're able to do that lord i ask that you reveal to each and every one of us what's in our way what is the clutter that is that we need to get rid of lord in our lives what is stopping us from submitting to you um and I ask, Lord, that you continue to take that first step with us, Lord, and show up even when we're not willing to hear, Lord, be louder, scream in our faces, Lord, and until we get the point, be with each and every one of us. And I pray, Lord, that you also continue to reveal more about your kingdom to us in the upcoming weeks of Lent, and that this season actually be fruitful for each and every one of us. Amen. Through the intercessions of all your saints, Saint Fotini, hear us when we say with all thanksgiving, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us all our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Whether you'd like more information on resources used in this episode, want to suggest a topic, or leave your feedback, please visit our website, emisher.com. And even if you just want to talk, feel free to reach out to one of your Eames sisters. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening and follow us on our Instagram and Facebook pages.